0: Two mats. That's the number two, M A T T S, and there's a link in the show notes.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hello Snowflakes and welcome back to the new European podcast. I'm not Steve Anglesey, I'm Matt Withers and I'm manning the fort while the editor takes a well-deserved break in Skegness. Possibly. I'm not sure where he is, but you will be hearing from him later. If you enjoy what we do, there's really no better way to support us than by subscribing. And to make that easier for you, here's a fantastic offer for podcast listeners. New subscribers can get a year's digital subscription for £1 a week or you can buy a year's subscription to print and digital for just £2 a week. For print and digital then, what do you get? Well, you get unlimited access to our archive on the website, plus our award-winning newspaper will be delivered to your door every week for a year. To take advantage of this offer, and to join a growing community of avid New European readers, please subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. That's the neweuropean.co.uk slash tne podcast. We're on the final corners of the very last lap of Boris Johnson's time in Downing Street and having bid goodbye to the House of Commons with a Churchillian Hasta la Vista baby, the outgoing Prime Minister used his final speech in office to encourage people to tackle the coming energy crisis by buying a new kettle. To misquote the subject of Johnson's long-delayed Shakespeare biography, nothing in his premiership became him like the leaving it. And with that in mind, later in this podcast, Steve Anglesey talks to the New European's editor-at-large Alistair Campbell about Johnson's departure, his legacy, what he does next, and, as a man who's been there twice, what the atmosphere is actually like at Downing Street when a Prime Minister leaves for the very last time. But before that, we asked on social media this week for your suggestions for fictional characters to be in Liz Truss's cabinet, and you responded, oh my word... Did you respond? Even if, A, nearly half were people suggesting Jacob Rees-Mogg, such as your incredulity, he's an actual real walking, talking person, and B, the other half were characters from either Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, and as I've never read or seen either, I'm in no position to judge whether they're any good or not, but we did have some of us. David Slattery says Mr Blobby, so she'll have an appropriate stand-in at PMQs, You will always get on the podcast on my watch by mentioning Mr. Blobby. Similarly, Andy Lawrence says Blakey from On The Buses. And Ray Garrett says Andy Capp as Foreign Secretary. Uh, No idea why to either, but I enjoyed them. Rory Harden says James Bond, because we're all going to need a stiff drink, plus someone who can really stand up to Putin. Ryan Van Vino says the main guy from the human centipede three. I must say, I didn't make it to the third film. Uh, John Lee says Wily Coyote, so that at least some of the government's plans don't look too crazy and look like they might stand a chance of coming to fruition. And Glenda Rowling says Stig of the Dump, which is uh, admirably niche. Later there will be more entrance into the Hall of Shame, but first here is that powwow between Alistair Campbell and Steve Anglesey. So Alistair,
0: when you when you watch Boris Johnson leaving Downing Street for the final time and, and making uh, a, a valedictory speech which would be full of truth and
1: light, um, <laughs> what will be going through your mind? Uh, two things. I think, one, how on earth did he get there in the first place, um, which I think has been an absolutely sort of shaming, debasing episode in British political history, but also the fact that The Conservative Party seems to me has learnt nothing from the reasons why even they decided that he couldn't stay in office. Mm. Because, you know, we've talked before about the whole populism, polarization, post-truth stuff. And you get the feeling that this trust is going to be exactly the same. Um, Sunak would appear to be out of it. I think he started off as being a kind of serious, trying to be a serious candidate, but he went down the same route. So I think that Johnson, in a way, is um, is a symptom as well as a cause of what's going very, very badly wrong in our politics. Um, I, you know, I find it very hard to watch at all now. I just, you know, I, I thought when he went off to Ukraine and you just, you, you know, on the day that Joe Biden's announcing an extra $3 billion and Johnson's trying to get us all excited about 54 million quid, when you know the only reason he's gone there is basically say, look, I'm still here. Hmm um I, I find I did um an interview with Der Spiegel the other day and, and and they said you know is there anything about Boris Johnson that you'll miss and I'm afraid the answer is very much no no
0: that's right I mean it's a great sense of uh I feel a great sense of relief and also a great sense of trepidation um, as to, to what is to, to come. And we all we, I mean, we know some of what he's going to say, because I don't know whether you've seen this, but we, we, we got hold um, on uh, on Friday of a letter that is going out to people who have written to him to say how sorry they are that he's he's had to resign. Yeah. Um, In which he does say that that Britain has led the led led the West in in its response to to Ukraine, which I'm sure Joe Biden will be surprised about. He said he's got Brexit done
1: and he's leveled up the whole country. I know. Well, the leveling up thing, I mean, that was exposed. The the, the absolute nonsense of that was exposed by the GCSE results. I mean, that's just, you know, this week alone where the, you know, London's continuing to do pretty well, other parts of the country, the gap. Is, uh, is growing, gap attainment is growing and, you know, what, is, what Johnson's always been about is slogans so, but get Brexit done is a slogan, levelling up is a slogan, global Britain is a slogan. I don't think he's actually achieved anything that is of note. I mean, the tragedy of course is that after he's gone, sadly, Brexit is, you know, for some time going to be with us. Whether that gets revisited in the future, I don't know um, but, you know, we've I thought one of the Highlights of the week for me was Emily Maitland's speech up in at the Edinburgh Fest, TV Festival. And what she said is what we've been saying in the New European, you know, for years, but it was absolutely, it was right what she said, that basically um, most of our media, most of our politics is basically abnormalizing ab- normalising the abnormal and pretending that this thing that by any objective analysis is going badly is actually going really well. I mean, it's bonkers. It's really absolutely bonkers. It really is. Um, you've been on the inside at the
0: end of prime minister, uh, prime ministerial regimes. What what will Johnson be be thinking now? And what what's the what's the mood like in those times?
1: Um, well, I was around with both Tony and with Gordon. They were very very different. Tony's in a way was, you know, with the departure was well signalled. Well. Quite well planned. We talked about this stable and orderly transition to Gordon. Um, But it's never easy leaving office. And um, and Gordon's, of course, was the, you know, if you remember, was the, there's those five days when the election result wasn't clear and it wasn't, it wasn't evident who was going to be prime minister and, you know, could Labour do some sort of deal with the Lib Dems and all that went on. Actually, I think both of them, uh, if you remember, Gordon walked down the street with his wife and his kids and it was very emotional inside Number Ten because it wasn't just that he was leaving. In a sense, that was you know New Labour were out of power, um, and yeah, it was sad. It was a very very sad moment, and and of course you're surrounded by civil servants who you've got to know very well. You've got to work with them very closely. Some of them become you know close friends. But they are already psychologically moving on to the next person because mm. that's their job. That's what they have to do, and particularly when it's a change of government, a change of party. Um, I mean, what Johnson, I think Johnson, Look, I've you know, there are very few words left in the dictionary for me to sort of say how awful and venal I think he is. But I suspect he will be thinking about his next steps in terms of how does he stay relevant? Probably how does he make a lot of money? Uh, possibly how does he come back? I think he he probably does harbour... I mean, Dominic Cummings is clear that Johnson's been back in Liz Truss because he thinks that she'll be the one who'll implode first.
0: Yes.
1: Um, I think we are talking about somebody who really does just think about himself.
0: Yes, I think, he's, I think he's planning his Churchillian return, isn't he? Um, well, I see, I see him more as Berlusconi than Churchill, I think. <laughs> well, that's right. But this, I mean, this always happens, doesn't it? I, I remember people saying that Margaret Thatcher would be back after a year of John Major. And there's a lot of talk about Tony Blair coming back, wasn't there, at numerous mm. stages? Um, I, I'm not sure whether it, it ever gets beyond the mind of the, the, the person
1: who's actually there and they're close. Well, it's funny in some countries, of course, that you do see yeah. political comebacks like that. But, it, you know, and, you know, you mentioned Churchill. Um, but we, our politics is, is, is something quite strange about our politics. On the one hand, we're quite good at kind of, you know, letting people get on with the job and giving them time to get on with the job. But then once they've done it, Um, you know, they've had the time and that's it. Whereas lots of other countries, you do see people coming back. Mm. And, um, you know, I I was in France over the summer and you talked to lots of French people and and they see the kind of mess that our politics is in. Quite a lot of them say was, you know, why doesn't Tony Blair just come back? You know, because at least he was sort of knew what he was doing and people respected Britain, et cetera, et cetera. But our politics is very, very different. Just We don't seem to be a country that... That, that, that I think some you know, can come back up to a certain level, but I think when you've been at that level, it's very, very hard. But I've got no doubt at all that Boris Johnson will be thinking about, you know, how can he plot and plan in a way to get get, him, get himself back in there.
0: There is an element of of sort of humiliation, isn't there? Or, well, I don't know whether he feels shame and disgrace or any of these kind of emotions. I'm sure he must do at some at some level. Do you feel, I mean, I felt sorry for May, even though she was terrible and the things she did were terrible and the things she did before she was Prime Minister were terrible. And I felt mildly sorry for Cameron because at least he was on the, the right side of it, even though he didn't have to call it on. Uh, and obviously I felt sorry for Brown before that. You know, it's difficult with, mm. different with, I mean, people like Blair and, and Thatcher, you know, I think they've they kind of run out of road and I, I don't think I've ever, ever felt sympathy for Thatcher. Do you feel
1: any sympathy for Johnson? No, none at all, not at all. Um because look, I felt I felt sympathy for Theresa May because I think she was given a I think she, she took office. Um I actually think I was you know I wrote about this at the time. I actually thought that her speech on entering Downing Street was a really good speech. And I yeah. thought, oh God, if a Tory Prime Minister does all of that, I'll be quite happy. And she talked about mental health, she talked about you know the poorest in the country, she talked about the great injustices that had been addressed and I thought if that's really the agenda then great but of course what happened was that like her successor and like his successor the whole Conservative Party's absolute fixation of obsession and hatred of Europe ate her up as well and of course you know to some extent it's uh, John- Johnson's got Brexit done insofar as he got the withdrawal agreement but he hasn't got Brexit done in terms of the whole country having a united sense of what it means and and, and where it goes forward. And the reason I don't have any sympathy for him is because I don't think he has any sympathy for the British people. I don't think he has any empathy for the British people. I think he's got a certain, he's got a part of his personality that's able to cut through to people in a way that other Tory politicians weren't able to do. People, Some people yeah. still like him and so forth, but he doesn't, he doesn't wake up. We've seen this in the last, I mean, he has remained as prime minister during this re- never ending leadership election because he's wanted to have his wedding party, because he wanted to have lots of holidays at public expense, and because he's probably just planning the next steps of his own own life. I don't believe he's motivated by the British people. And and I think it's terrible if you think that of your own prime minister. And, you know, Mrs Thatcher, I never thought that Margaret Thatcher. I didn't like a lot that she did, but I never, ever felt she was motivated just by herself. I, I never felt that.
0: No, that's right. I think he wanted to stay a little. He wanted to get past May's off, uh, term of office as well, didn't he? Which he, he managed
1: to do well, a that's of weeks ago. as well. I mean, I, I think that whole when we talk about look, I think the legacy is important for any leader. Of course, it is. But the fact that, as you say in the letter that they're putting out, he's saying that you know led the world on COVID. Well, that's nonsense. Uh, led the world in Ukraine. You know, Britain should be proud of the. We should be proud of the role that our force, our military, have played, and that the 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 MOD have played. But the idea is, I mean, you know, the American contribution in Ukraine, it, it dwarfs anything that anybody else is doing. To, and, and also diplomatically, and especially now with this, the ridiculous thing Trust said yesterday for a cheap laugh at a Tory party hustings about Macron friend or foe, the jury's out when, you know, the guy is, uh, you know, leader of one of the five permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, member of NATO, a country that we are going to need to sort out the mess that Brexit's creating. And so, you know, on the one hand, we're landing, you know, sewage on their beaches, and, and, and we've got a new prime minister coming in basically suggesting that Macron's an enemy. I mean, you're talking about not serious people, and I'm afraid this is the, this is part of the legacy of Trumpism and, and Johnson.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right. Um... I mean you mentioned Blair, you mentioned a bond there with, with some people. And I know we have talked about this before, but I mean obviously I think the last politician, the last prime minister who really had a bond with with the Brit- some of the British people, was Blair. Uh, apart from that, are they alike in any way at all?
1: What Tony Blair and Boris Johnson? Yes. I don't see it. No, I think I think that look. Funny enough, when when I was presenting Good Morning Britain a few months ago, we had Tony on. And I said to him, look, you know, you and I have talked about this. I just don't get why anybody can look at Johnson and think he's anything other than terrible. Mm. And, he, and he said, look, the appeal of Boris Johnson is quite simple, quite straightforward. He's He's got a positive energy, he, which Tony had. Yeah. He is by nature an optimist. And people want optimism. They want to feel that there's optimism somewhere. And Tony was very much an optimist. He always felt that there was a way around a problem and a way through a problem. But I think, I think that's where the comparison ends, because, you know, and, and Johnson in his own way is an extraordinary communicator. I mean, I don't like the way he communicates. I mean, the, the kind of half-truths and the deceptions and the, and, you know, avoiding questions by making jokes and all that sort of stuff. But he is an extraordinary communicator in his own way. And Tony was an extraordinary communicator. But I think in where I draw a massive difference is that I think whether you're talking about Tony and certainly Gordon as well, is that they, weren't, they were in the job to make the decisions to take the country in the direction they'd want to take the country. The, the stuff that the media focus on endlessly, it's part of modern politics, you have to do it, but it's not why they were in politics. Whereas I feel for Johnson, he's been in politics, you know, because he likes the game. Mm.
0: Yes when you think about those all the prime ministers that since I guess since the start of the Second World War, then to bring in both terms of Churchill, wh- where does Johnson rank? Does he is he right at the bottom? Have there been worse prime ministers than Johnson?
1: Um, I think I, I, I think he's definitely the worst of our lifetime, mm-hmm. um, and you know history. Look, we, we, people always say, "Oh, well, history will judge," etc. But of course, all history is. History is just a, a collection of millions and millions of views that develop over time. Yes. Um, you have to acknowledge that a lot depends on what actually happens with Brexit. Mm. Uh, Johnson will be seen by historians as, the, as possibly the key figure in Brexit actually becoming a reality, both because of the campaign and the fact that he was the prime minister who got the withdrawal agreement. Um, so that is a big legacy. Whether you think it's good or bad, I happen to think it's bad, but it is a big legacy. So that puts him in the historic league, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, um, who was I talking to? Those, we I talked to we, we, Rory Stewart and I were talking to William Hague on our podcast, and Haig was just very, very clear. He said, you know, Johnson's friends need to make clear to him there's no chance, there's, there can be no possibility of him coming back. Mm because, he said, it has ended in failure. Nobody can pretend this has been a success. Um, now, Theresa May didn't get much done, you have to say that. David Cameron, you can you can point to things that, but again, his legacy is going to be defined by the referendum. Mm. Um, and I think this is what I think is making the public so angry about this Tory leadership election. We're now 12 years and three prime ministers into a Tory government, and we've got, possibly i mean if these list trust cabinet appointments that are rumored are true we've we've possibly got an even worse cabinet coming along than we've just had
0: it is quite remarkable isn't it without party gate do you think he he would have gone on to win a second term
1: I, I mean it's impossible to know that it's impossible to know i do think he you know i, I i've said in the paper and i've said elsewhere that i i think labor has got to you know, do a better job at holding these guys to account and, and Mm. and above all, setting out a positive, compelling agenda for the public, because I really do think the public in the main are absolutely sick of this lot. Mm. I don't detect any real warmth for Truss or Sunak. I think the Conservative leadership contest is doing them a lot of harm. Um, But in the end, you know, the one thing you'd say about Johnson, I think this is, he he was uh, a formidable campaigner, now, I think if you're against Corbyn, uh, I think that I, I just had always felt that, that, that Corbyn was not going to be elected prime minister and, and therefore that was an easier wicket for Johnson. But you've got to, you know, he's a, he's a campaigner. And the other thing you've got to say is that he, he does do this populist campaigning very well. He would have felt no compunction at all about going through an election campaign against Labour, misrepresenting Keir Starmer, smearing Mova Jimmy Savile, whatever it might be, with the media you know, so far up his backside, it's been embarrassing at times, and the BBC cowed and all the rest of it that we know. So I think it's impossible to know. But the truth is that he's going, hopefully he's gone for good. Um, hopefully, the Privileges Committee investigation will, will confirm what we all know that he lied to Parliament, and then there will be a, you know, the, the process of getting rid of him as an MP, because I think that's what he deserves.
0: Yes, I mean, Liz Truss has got to allow there to be a privileges
1: committee, I suppose, no.
0: first, but, but there you go. Well, I think
1: this is what I mean, what I said earlier about the Conservative Party's learned nothing. The fact that she, you know, he has been given the boot by them because they know that he was damaging our country uh, and he was damaging their party. And they've actually just been playing exactly the same game as he did. You know, you're going to get honesty from me. And then they tell you five minutes later, that the seven hour queues at Dover have got nothing to do with Brexit. And, you know, all the other lies that they tell. Well, that the, the, the terrible, I mean, I thought one of the best pieces in the paper this week was Paul Mason's piece on the whole solar energy thing. Incredible. I mean, what is it about that these two think that there are votes to be had from the golf club boars and the Tory party by saying that we hate solar energy? What is that about? It really is quite remarkable, isn't it?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing has been such an unedifying uh, spectacle. And between him and the ERG, they really have broken the Conservative Party, which I'm, I'm not unhappy about. I've got to say, it seems to me to be in a, a much worse state than it was in in, in 1997 even. Yeah, uh,
1: but, they're, but they're in power. Well, they are in power, the yes. One thing, the one thing about the Conservative Party is that is ultimately what motivates them. Yeah.
0: Now I suspect that we will be talking about Liz Truss in, in, in future, uh, in future weeks and, and months. Um, hopefully not for that long. Um, but but let's let's just end then by, by just considering what the, the lasting effect of, of Boris Johnson is on on British politics. Is he going to be the last sort of showbiz prime minister? You, do you think, or is he going to be the first of many showbiz
1: prime ministers? Well, I think it depends on what the you know what the public are going to put up with. I mean, I'd like to think that you know lots of people say yeah. Pat Keir Starmer, he's a bit dull and he's a bit sort of workmanlike and so forth. I I I hope there will be people out there. I think you know what we need a bit of that after after mm-hmm. all the nonsense we've had. Um, but then you see the way that Truss has conducted herself and Sunats conducted himself, and they, they don't have Johnson's shamelessness in the same way. Although I think she's pretty close, and they certainly don't have his. I don't know whether charisma is the right word, but they don't have that sort of very unique communication skill that he has. Um, but I think that one of the real problems that's happened over 12 years of tourism and now, especially the last few years, is that our politics is no longer taken seriously in the world. I was with somebody this morning who works with the government in Singapore and he who's he's, he's, he's over in London at the moment. and he, And he said, you know, people in Singapore is looking on and thinking, you know, Britain used to be the country, whose politics we look to for leadership and inspiration. And now we look at it and just think this is a, this is just not serious. So I, I think we need a return. We need to get a return to serious politics. And, I'm, you know, I've seen very little from either of the candidates, a little bit more than Sunak, but nothing from trust to suggest that we're going to get a return to serious politics.
0: No. That's quite a depressing thought to end on, but I think uh, I think we very true. Mm. Thank you
2: very much, Alistair Campbell. All right, Steve. Thank you. All the best. That was Alistair Campbell, our editor-at-large, talking to Steve Anglesey. If you want to read Alistair's diary in the New European every week, and after that, why on earth would you not don't forget you can do so with a very special rate by going onto the information superhighway and tapping uk slash TNE podcast into your web browser. Now it's time for the Hall of Shame, the home of blowhard backbenchers, malevolent ministers and piss poor pundits. First off in the Hall of Shame this week is Edwina Curry, a junior health minister for two years in the 1980s who is apparently still a thing. Currie has got herself embroiled in a row with Martin Lewis after suggesting the money-saving expert founder was scaremongering about the cost of living crisis, saying he should stop using words like catastrophe. Lewis hit out that energy bills by January will cost, on average, over half the full state pension and a bigger proportion of basic universal credit and that could reasonably be construed as a catastrophe. Never mind, Currie will be all right. With Liz Truss apparently set to bring fellow throwback John Redwood into government, perhaps there'll be a role for her too. Michael Gove is in the Hall of Shame this week. After effectively announcing his departure from political life last week, the former levelling-up secretary is now devoting himself full-time to his very public midlife crisis. The 55-year-old, who split with wife Sarah Vine last year, has been pictured parching at a bar in the Ashaya Ibiza Beach Hotel, one of the Spanish Holiday Isle's top dance venues. The hotel's owners claim guests can expect the very best in VIP treatment, with champagne, oysters and caviar on offer whilst surrounded by beautiful people and international celebrities. And Michael Gove. And finally in the Hall of Shame this week goes Dan Wotton, son showbiz scribe turned GB News' portly political pundit, who has this week spoke his brains on the energy crisis. It turns out to have nothing to do with COVID causing a rapid drop in energy demand and a corresponding cut in oil production, or the global supply chain crisis further stressing the delivery of extracted petroleum, or even Russia's invasion of Ukraine. No, according to Wotton, we are facing an energy catastrophe because we let the middle-class lefty Ramona lunatics enact their virtue signalling plans. But no worries, because Wotton says, while ordinary Brits are forced to live smaller and smaller lives, Those who voted remain will continue to down Beef Carpaccio on private jets. And that's precisely what I'm off to do now. That was the New European Podcast with Matt Withers. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Alistair Campbell. And thanks to Steve Anglesey for leaving me with very little work to do. A reminder of our special offer for new subscribers if you go to the New European slash TNE podcast, you can join us for the great price of £1 a week for digital. £2 a week for print and digital, that's the neweuropean.co.uk slash tnepodcast. If you don't want to miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe. You can give us nice ratings too, wherever you can. Join our Facebook readers group, or follow us on Twitter at The New European. Or indeed follow me on Twitter at Matt Wivers, M-A-T-T-W-I-T-H-E-R-S. Until next week, when normal service will be resumed, so long, snowflakes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less and similar brands.